Would somebody go ahead and just read one through five? Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourselves, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. Okay. So, you know, he first said, you know, help the guy who's caught in a trespass. Instead of envying him, go help him out and bring him back up and back to the Lord. In verse 2, in contrast with challenging one another, what does he say we ought to do with one another? Yeah. Now, what's the difference between verse 1 and verse 2? Okay. You are looking at yourself in verse 1, and in verse 2 you're looking to others as well as yourself. Okay, you're looking to others as well as yourself in 1 as well, because, you know, you see somebody caught in a trespass, but... 1 is an emergency. 2 is kind of a daily responsibility. You know, loving others is not always manifested in some heroic act, uh, some spectacular deed, some emergency procedure. Sometimes it's a matter of toting other people's loads. You know, we must care and be willing to be put out and try to, to help people out carrying the part of the load that they're carrying. You know, and in that way you fulfill the law of Christ. The false teachers were insisting on the law. Well, if you're going you're gonna to follow a law, follow Christ's law. Follow the law of helping each other out, of bearing each other's burdens, of caring about each other and serving each other. It's the kind of law you ought to follow. That's the kind of law that, that Christ would want you to follow. So, you know, constantly you're seeking to serve others. Isn't that what he said back in 5.13? Through love, serve one another. That's what you see manifested right here. Through love, serving one another. Giving yourself to the other person. What do you think? Why? Well, if one is supposed to be in an emergency, then why... I would think looking at yourself, like each one look at yourself so you, that you will not be tempted, seems more of a daily occurrence. But, but it's in connection with restoring the one who's been caught in a trespass. Okay, see... Um, Read all of us. Well, yeah, but the punctuation of my Bible separates it, so that's okay. why. Well, I think, he, I think what he's saying in verse 1, you know, restore the person who's stumbled with a spirit of gentleness and with self-examination. Those are two characteristics of how you restore the one who's been caught in a trespass. And three, you've got the contrast with being boastful. What should you not do? <laughs> Deceive yourself. By thinking that you are more than what you are. Yeah. 
You know, uh, that's not smart. Um, you know, it probably will hinder us from bearing one another's burdens if we're too f- stuck on ourselves. You know, because we'll not have any sympathy. We don't think we have any weaknesses. And so we're not going to be concerned with other people's weaknesses and other people's difficulties. So it seems to me that that kind of connects. And, you know, when you think you're something when you're nothing, who all is deceived by that? Just yourself. Just yourself. You doesn't say, say that you deceive anyone else. Probably don't. You've seen some people who thought they were something when they're nothing, haven't you? Were you taken in by that? <laughs> you know, so probably the eggs on your own face. So I see these verses as sort of a chiasm with verse 26. You know, he starts with envying one another, then back to challenging one another, then back to being boastful. Kind of gives the contrasts in one through three. You can, you can do what you want to with that, but I think there's probably something to that. Um, and then in verse 4, you know, he's been talking about, you know, our responsibilities for each other, but, but what does he say we have to do in verses 4 and 5? Same in ourselves. Yeah. And not brag on what somebody else has done, but you're going to have to, you know, stand up for your own work. Um, you know, it doesn't make a difference how good somebody else has done, we need to focus on what we're doing and serve God ourselves. Nobody else can serve God for us because there's some personal responsibilities and burdens that nobody else can bear. Now in verse 2 he said to bear one another's burdens, but he says each one will bear his own load on the day of judgment. Who's going to answer for you? That's all the only one. I mean, nobody else is going to be able to ultimately stand in your place. Uh, So, face up to your load bear it, quit whining and making excuses. You know, get down to business and do what you need to do. So there's a mutual aspect of this where we care for each other and we try to carry each other's loads and there's an individual responsibility that we can't shove off on anybody else where we're going to have to do the things we have to do and we're going to stand in in judgment to account for it. So I think he's, you know, really looking at both the mutual and the individual aspect of our responsibility as Christians in this passage. And is he saying in verse 4 not to uh, boast about somebody else? Mm-hmm. I think so. And don't, don't, don't use other people for comparison or don't uh, brag on what they do like as if it was your accomplishment. Oh, okay. Other comments, comments, or questions? Well, I would suggest that this next section is not so different from what we've just been looking at. That we are still in the theme of helping other people, which is looking at a different aspect of helping, 6 to 10. Especially those who are in the house of the faith. 
The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Now, that's kind of in contrast with verse 5. Each one will bear his own load, but that doesn't exempt us from the responsibility of sharing all good things with the one who teaches. Now, what does he mean by sharing all good things with him? You know what he's saying? Um, I don't think so. Would it be sharing the good things of the word? I don't think so. Money. Money. I think he's saying that when others teach you and help you spiritually, you share your financial blessings with them. How do you get that? Well, that verse. I don't see it. The one who is taught the word, the one who is taught the word, is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. In the context, he's talking about sowing and reaping. He's talking about doing good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. I think the context is financial. And he's saying, you receive a spiritual blessing from the teacher, you share your financial resources with that teacher. You mean like pay the teacher? Sure. Look at Romans 15. This is an, an analogy almost to this. Romans 15.25 But now I am going to Jerusalem serving the saints for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so and they are indebted to them for if the Gentiles have shared in their, spirit, in their spiritual things they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. The Jews shared spiritual blessings with the Gentiles the Gentiles ought to share their material blessings back with the Jews. I think it's the same idea here. The one who teaches... Well, how valuable is it to be taught the word? Yeah, you really can't put a dollar figure on that. And so it's only right that the one who's blessed share the uh, good things he has with the one who's blessing him with the teaching. I think, I think one thing you see in that is the teaching others is a real job. <laughs> You know, Paul doesn't view this as a pastime. You know, he views it as a possibility of somebody investing himself so much in teaching, but the ones who are taught are to share that back with them. First Timothy 5 talks about supporting elders who are primarily teachers. And, uh, you know, uses a similar argument. Uh, so, I, what I think he's saying is that, you know, if you're, if you're being blessed by someone who's teaching, then share the blessings you've got with them. Comments and thoughts on that verse? If that's the case, then we don't always do that. Or do we do that in ways of like, perhaps like giving them something to eat and drink when they are teaching us? Yeah, I mean... I'm just curious, like for instance, like we're here studying with you, right? Yeah. And, I mean... You're teaching us, and I guess in a sense, you know... Pay up! You, like, you're being paid by the congregation to teach um, others, but like not all of us here are part of this congregation, so how are we all going to share our goods with you? 
Well, this is not like a hard and fast rule, you'll pay this much per hour for your teaching. This is a mentality, this is using your resources to help those who are teaching. Uh, I don't think there's a specific requirement, so much teaching for so much pay, it's nothing like that. Uh, and, you know, actually it's amazing the number of Christians who do share various things with me. You know, and with others who teach, you know, providing in various ways, very generously, uh, not only, you know, what the congregation provides. Um, those, that's a, I mean, you know, I think biblically that's appropriate. You know, I think it's, it's right for us to bless those who help us. It's not like, well, I don't have any money, what am I going to do? I mean, it's kind of like verse 10. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. That's kind of broadening this out, you know, to do good to all people, especially those in the household of faith. Well, you know, you may have not have opportunity, or your opportunities are going to be limited. He's not trying to put a guilt trip on you because, you know, well, I didn't have any money to pay you this time, you know, or whatever. It's nothing like that. But it is the mentality of sharing with those who bless us spiritually. You have any idea of Philippians 2, where Paul says to hold in our regard that you got paid or not but just this again the mentality I mean we're not always going to physically hand a check to the guy who's teaching but it's the idea that people who have devoted their life to teaching and we've all in some way done that by serving the Lord but people who have especially done that need to be held both physically and mentally in a different position and even, I mean, Peter says that, that teachers are held in a higher, or whatever that is, in a higher responsibility, that, James. you know, even the Lord sees teachers like that in a different manner than other people. I mean, it's kind of the most important thing there is, you know, to be helped with the Word is, you know, it's more, much more important than physical assistance. You know, spiritual assistance. You know, in, in teaching and exhorting and helping when you're not doing well and things like that. I mean, that's, wow. Nothing you'll do to help physically back will is a measure of, of the blessing it is to us when people help us. We're all in the same boat in that. I mean, there's plenty of people who've helped and taught me and, and, and blessed me greatly. And I need to respect that and appreciate that. Thank God for it but also use the blessings God gives me to, to share with them. He really broadens that out in 7 to 9. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, the one who sows the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. I think in the context he's talking about the use of our financial resources. And that there's a law of sowing and reaping. You know, you kind of get what you give. And so we shouldn't use our financial resources primarily to gratify our own desires. You know, the conflict of the flesh and spirit spills over into finances. And in contrast with a self-indulgent mentality where we're always trying to invest in our own likes, our own wants, our own cravings, we ought to sow to the spirit. We ought to really try to invest ourselves in things that make a difference more than trying to invest ourselves in things that 
you know, make us fatter and happier in this life. Now, you know, that could be a lot of things. You know, stop and think about what are some of the ways in which you could sow to the Spirit? That is, you could use your financial resources for spiritual purposes. What are some ways you can do that? Obviously, what we just looked at in verse 6, but what else? Giving to the congregation. I giving to the congregation. What else? What's your question? Being, how can we use our financial resources for the spirit? Being hospitable. Being hospitable. What else? All right. Helping out brethren and others, even non-Christians who are poor and in need. What else? You can also show love by, you know, giving money to someone, taking someone out to eat or something, you know, showing love or maybe going close with them by using your financial Okay. Money. Hospitality, more or less. What else? Give money to organizations for a project. Perhaps. We're just being, we're just being grateful and giving thanks. Well, it's not really using your money, but it's a good thing to do. You pay a prey. You can buy a microphone so everyone can hear your prayer. <laughs> yes. What are some other very practical things that we can do financially where we're kind of sowing to the Spirit? Buying Bibles. Right, buying Bibles. Buy <laughs> Bibles. <laughs> You support people who are Yes. Think of some things we haven't said that seem like they're so practical. What about helping somebody out in the hospital? Okay. I'm not thinking about giving people money now. Think about traveling. Good. Yeah, exactly. Traveling to people and helping. Sure. How about gas and car expenses? You know, going different places to teach or to help or to encourage or whatever. How about telephone expenses? Using your phone, you know, to help, to encourage, to, to strengthen or whatever. And, you know, I suspect if you kept thinking, wow, there's a lot of ways that we can sow to the Spirit. Now, this is a mentality thing in part. How do we look at what we have? Are we, are we investing mostly in our fleshly personal wants and desires. You know, I want this, I want that, let me buy this, let me buy that. You know, I want to get bigger and better and higher and whatever. Or, or, or is our first thought, man, I, I, I want to be able to do more of this. I want to be able to give more of that. And you'll never beat the system. It'll catch up to you. What happens if you sow to the flesh? What are you going to reap? Yeah, corruption. You want to reap that? Much better to sow to the Spirit and reap eternal life. Uh, and he says in verse 9, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. You know, quit, don't, don't grow weary of doing good. There will be a recompense for that. You know, we may get tired of not being on the same economic level of not having certain things. We may get tired of focusing all our life on spiritual things. And we have to catch ourselves and say, I'm not going to go weary of this. I'm going to keep going and keep investing myself and keep investing my resources in spiritual things. Now, again, this is not something where I can come to you and say, all right, now, you, you know, you make X amount of money. You can only have this amount of money for this, and the rest of it you got to go for this, this, and this. I don't have the right to do that. I don't have any ability to do that. But but our we 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 live in a very self-indulgent society, 
I mean, I think we really need to think about this. A man, we've been blessed with so much, uh, and uh, we are so quick to use it for our own fleshly desires, and sometimes so slow to use it for the Spirit. So I think that's a really powerful passage in 7 through 9 to make us think about just our, our whole materialistic mindset. Comments or questions through verse 9? Can we predict that or perceive that uh, so in the Spirit would be also praising the Lord? Well, but he's talking, I think, here about using our financial resources for the Lord's Spirit. We're in Galatians 6, about it is to our verse 10. Um, I, I, was, I was thinking of this kind of recently in the sense of uh, a bad perspective, like you're saying, is like, okay, your 10% goes to the church, so the rest of it's for yourself. But when you once you start realizing that it's all for the Lord, I mean, it's, and really, if we're all fellow members in Christ, it's my money just as much as it is any other brother's money, and so why would I be selfish using it for myself? And so then you start realizing, well, you know, this month, uh, I may need to only give 8% of the local congregation because this brother over here needs it, I mean, or kind of whatever. And, and uh, I feel like that's breaking away from the legalism we're, we're talking about, but rather running to the opportunities that are before us. Uh, or maybe even, well, maybe I can tighten my belt in something I'm using for myself so I can have more to share. It's good to make sacrifices. You know, not to offer the Lord that which costs us nothing. You know, have we ever deprived ourselves of anything to, you know, serve more and to read more to the Spirit? In Jan, he says, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are in the household of faith. You know, Christians have a special claim on our resources because they're our brothers. So we would give a special priority to those who are in the family. But not an exclusive focus on those who are in the family. We ought to do, as we have opportunity, good to all people. The word opportunity there is the same word as time in verse 9. But do time will we reap while we have time. You know, or uh, in do opportunity will we reap while we have opportunity. It's the same word. And we need to pay attention to our time to sow, and the Lord will take care of the time to give the harvest. Uh, I think that's the idea. You know, we use the times and opportunities to, to serve others, and the Lord will provide at the right times the harvest we are looking for. So, you know, we just need to, to serve others uh, and invest to the Spirit with the financial resources God gives us. Comments and thoughts through verse 10. Um, then, in 11 through 16. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as, as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may, not su- they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. 
And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon you, and upon the Israel of God. I know. What about this? See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. What's the deal there? So they go along with like what he's done in other letters, as far as like it shows his authentic authenticity. Yeah, I suspect this is where he picked up the pen to start writing. You know, as you write to the conclusion, I think that's probably likely. We know that Paul used amanuenses to write most of his other letters, and he would write the signature with his own hand. It's so seldom you get to use that word, you have to use it every time you get a chance. <laughs> that's the word for it, amanuensis. That's the guy who writes for somebody else. It's a fun word. It, it is. To be a secretary. It's a lot easier word. Well, I know, but it's not nearly so much. It's not a ten-cent word. <laughs> I don't know, I always think of a secretary's thing. That's a stereotype. Actually, I'm not a Where were you talking to speak? I think about time. I'll watch So, Paul used somebody else to write his letters, but I think here Paul probably picked up the pen to write himself. And maybe, I, I wouldn't just, you know, stake my life on this, but I'll throw this one out. Maybe the point right here is he's writing this in big letters, like to make this emphatic. Look, I'm writing this in big letters. Pay attention to this. You know, we'd write, you know, we'd type with, you know, bold or italics or underlined or something. But he's drawing attention to the fact these people are going to be listening to this. They're not going to be reading it and seeing it. This is in large letters, guys. This is really important. I think that may be the idea. Some people think Paul's script was just larger than his amanuensis. And so he's drawing attention to the fact this is where I pick up the pen and look how my letters are bigger. Or he was, bl- he was going blind. He's yeah, yeah, because of that light on the road to Damascus. That's right. Okay. Um, I think we are. Oh my goodness. Yeah, can you believe it? Yeah, I got another recording on that. It was a very lengthy talk, and we got nowhere. Yes, well, we might be able to get nowhere again. I'm going to edit these recordings. All right, other comments or questions on verse 11? Well, he says, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised. Now, what was their motive behind trying to get them to be circumcised? To ensure their holiness. No, not here. What was their motive here? He's, uh, I think to pull them away from the Lord, to pull them to their own doctrine, so that any even said later to boast in their flesh. So this idea of, I have more followers than Paul does, I am... Something. Yes, this is the right. That's on the right track. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh, you know, think about these Jews who became Christians who want to be able to go back to their fellow Jewish Christians or to their fellow Jewish non-Christians and be able to say, "I converted X number of people to Judaism out of the Gentiles." They want to be able to show off. Literally, their flesh. You know, that's kind of a double meaning statement there. Uh, when you think about the circumcision, and uh, so to get credit for them, I think I think in some of those cases he may be, you know, using that with a double 
sense. Um, they, 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 they want to, they, they're pridefully, they're wanting to show off the fact that they, they got so many Gentiles circumcised. And Paul says, so they try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now there's another motive, and what's this motive? If you're compelling them to be circumcised, that's not very offensive to other Jews. They, they're not going to get up in arms about that. You know, okay, maybe he thinks, I don't know, Christ the Messiah or whatever, but they're still preaching circumcision. Yes, and they're still converting some Gentiles over, so it would, they're kind of like they're using these Gentiles as a shield against the enmity of the Jews. They're sacrificing these brethren and forcing them to be circumcised because they're too cowardly to face up to the Jewish persecution, and this this is a way of alleviating the persecution. Now it's clear that that's their motive because he says in verse 13, for those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves. You know, if they were so worried about the law, why wouldn't they keep it themselves? That's not their motive. They're just wanting to brag about, you know, what they've conquered in you and they're trying to avoid being persecuted by the Jews. What do you think? And then he says in the end of verse 13, but they desire to have you circumcised so they may boast in your flesh. You know, they, they, they weren't so worried about the glory of the law like they said. They worried about their own glory. And they were wanting to boast in all the papers and conferences about how many Gentile scalps they had. weren't good. I mean, how many times are people's motives in teaching things try to show off the fact well, I converted that one. I got that one one over, you know, and and try to maybe, you know, not be looked down on by the group or whatever. Those are not good motives. And those kind of people aren't going to be concerned at all about serving the Lord in their life. They just want to look good in front of the other people. Because, well, look, I invited so many people and so many people came and, you know, whatever. All right, comments or questions through verse 13. So so many ways to ask the Roman persecution. Because the Romans at this point were that... I agree with you. They like them, but they didn't really care about them either. And in some cases, when the Romans did persecution, did persecute, they did it at the instigation of the Jews. So yeah, I think the Jews were the bigger issue for these guys, and they were trying to appease them by converting Jews into or Gentiles to become Jews, Jewish Christians. Other thoughts? Well, in verse 14, Paul contrasts his own attitude with the attitude of the false brethren. He says, but may it never be that I would boast, not in the flesh of the Gentiles. What was his only boast be? Absolutely. Which was not something the world would have boasted about. The cross was a very shameful thing, and yet they, uh, they you know, Paul... Paul would boast in that. That was a that was an object of pride for Paul, you know, an object to 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 declare and to promote. He he was glad 
about the cross. Other people might be embarrassed about it, but he, he was glorying in the cross. Uh, and he said, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Uh, you know, they, they were focused on material things Paul's crucified to the world. You know, nothing in this world really made any difference to Paul. Is he a contrast to you that these false teachers were <clears throat> you know, boasting the flesh of the Gentiles and here Paul is boasting the flesh of Christ or something? Yes. Yeah, good point. Can you say that the world's been crucified to you and you to the world? The world just doesn't have any, any more traction to you? Kind of dead to it? That's our problem. We're still alive to the world. We haven't been crucified to the world. You know, we've got to come to not be pulled by worldly sinful things. We don't want those things. We've died to those things. There's no other way to do it when those worldly things still attract us and we still care about them and love them, they have too much hope on us. Christ died to the world, we've got to die to it too. And and what I see, you know, sometimes, just talking with a guy a few minutes ago, you know, about a situation in which, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of in a situation where every new opportunity he gets to sin, he jumps into. They feel bad. But, you know, one of the things that I think we've got to do in that is we can't want it. The fact that, you know, you want the thing that was wrong. And you, 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 you crave it. You may uh, deny yourself of it a little bit, but you really, really want it. It's going to kill you. You've got to work on your heart and get to the point where you do not want those things. You've been crucified to those things. That's the way Paul was. Comments and questions on 14. There's one subscribed to me um, that when you baptize yourself, you take your sin, you take your sinful body, and you nail that to the cross, and you take down Jesus from the cross, and you walk with him. And every time that we sin, and that we do things that are wrong, we take back our old body that was nailed to the cross, and put Jesus back up there. And that, I don't know, in some sense, it's very graphic, but a lot of times, like it comes down to that, and it's just very. It's simply put like that, that we don't care enough about his sacrifice, so we leave him up on the cross. We never take him down and truly accept him within us or walk with him. And I know a lot of times I, I just look at my life and you look, and, and I don't know, a lot, when we look at ourselves, you, we can all see the shame that is brought um, to us when we do sin, when we choose to want to be a part of this world and it's very sad and it should be a very sobering thought at all times and very humbling and very if anything just something that gives us um, the mindset to be able to respect what Jesus did for us mm-hmm. definitely uh, maybe this is helpful 
you know, dietitians who study things like nutrition and learn all about what good foods do you and what bad foods do you, um, a lot of them really eat a lot better, not because someone went in and reprogrammed them about what tastes good to them, but they know the consequences of it. They see where it goes. They still have the same appetites and probably potato chips and whatever it is that's bad for you. I mean, those things will probably still taste good, but because they know the consequences, because they know where it leads, uh, they don't want it. I mean, they really just don't want it, even if there's a part of them that, that would it, it would satisfy. Um, I feel like that's where we need to be is is when the temptation comes, we realize there's a part of us that wants that, but we don't want it. I mean, deep down, we've we've gotten rid of that part of our life. We that's been nailed to the cross, and we just don't want that at all. Yeah, the illustration I used the other day somewhere, hadn't thought about it in a long time. When I was little, I don't know, probably nine, eight. I always loved graham crackers. Then one day I ate a bunch of graham crackers and I got sick of my stomach. I got through them up. It was a long time <laughs> before I ever even want to look at a graham cracker again. There's that association in my mind. Ugh, I didn't want them. You know, we've got to learn to hate sin and learn to love the things that are good for us. And we can change that. You know, you, you can make yourself love the right thing and hate the wrong thing. It takes a little work. you got to mentally... But, but exactly what you said, when you see... That, that that God loves certain things because they're good for us and he hates other things because they're terrible. We come to see them the same way. We feel the same way. Well, he says in verse 15, how much does circumcision matter? With one stroke, Paul abolishes Judaism. Because <laughs> for Judaism, circumcision's everything. He said it makes no difference. What does make a difference? A new creation, having a new life, a new outlook, new perception, a radical change. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. You know, I think the Israel of God here suggests faithful brethren in Christ. Whether they're ethnic Jews or ethnic Gentiles, they are God's Israel. They're God's specially chosen people. And uh, we need to walk by the rule. Of the Lord, and and He gives His peace and mercy on us. Comments and questions to verse sixteen. I think verse fifteen is really powerful because they were making it all about you know a little piece of flesh. But it's not. It's not about that. It's about this new creation as a whole. You know, I mean, um, Paul says it's not about a little thing. It's about you being a new creation, new creation. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's amazing how <laughs> resolving Christianity to circumcision rather trivializes it. <laughs> Which is what legalism tends to do. It boils Christianity down to a few external rules and misses the whole point of it. Other thoughts? Alright, 17 and 18. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. The brand marks of Jesus were on his body? What does he mean? 
it says in, in my body. In, in his body? Could those be the marks from his beatings and everything? I wonder. Kind of like the scars from his persecution were like being branded for the Lord. And remember what we said about the Galatian churches, what happened to him in Lystra? He was stoned almost to death. I bet that would have left some uh, brand marks on him. You know, he has quite different marks on him than those uh, of the Judaizing teachers whose, whose only important mark was circumcision. You know, he was marked as one persecuted for the cause of Christ. You, you know, you ever stopped and thought about, you know, I bet Paul had some continuing aches and pains and whatever as a result of that. You know, and probably scarred up pretty bad for all the beatings and stonings and whatever else he had. It's amazing he, you know, traveled as much as he did and seemed to be in as good a health as he was after all that he'd gone through. Do what? And never mentioned it. Yeah, that's right. Then the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now isn't, he always concludes his letters with grace. But isn't this more important in a letter like this? That he starts and ends it with grace. You know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. So he calls them brethren, as he does several times in the letter. Even though, whoa, he's worried about them. But they're still brethren at this point. Comments and questions on anything we've covered here in Galatians? In verse 16, when he says, and upon the Israel of God, he's talking about God's people? I think he is. Okay. I think Israel in the sense of God's specially chosen people. And that new Israel is what refers to in 15 as the new creation of making yourself or, a new creation yeah maybe the new creation is just what I become in me and the new Israel is the people of God as a whole other comments or questions well we did well with this so as I said we'll try to do Zechariah tomorrow from 9 to 12 and it would probably be good if we would uh, have a prayer uh, before we conclude. Shame Our God and our Lord, we bow before you in prayer. So thankful, so humbled to be able to call you Father. And we see the love that you have shown to us by adopting us as sons and as daughters into your kingdom, into your home. When you reach out your hand to us, and you, you take us in when we are so unworthy. You show us so much love and so much grace. You bless us more than we deserve. And so many times we turn around and we slap you in the face and we hurt you and we sin against you. But time and time again you reach down your hand and you pick us up and you forgive us and you let us back into your home and your kingdom. And how can we not praise such a great God? How can we not love and serve you?
we pray that every day we would grow in our love for you. For such a great God. That you would be our passion and our zeal. We would long to serve you. To grow in you. To forget the blessings of this world. To forget what we've been given. But just to focus on you. To give you the praise and the glory. That such a great God as you. The only God deserves. Tune our hearts to hear your word. To do what is right. To forget self. To focus on the most important thing. To put you as our number one priority. To die to self. To be crucified to this world. Let the desires of this world fall from our heart. Help us to no longer want the things of this world. But the desire of you above all else. We are so blessed with the people around us, with grace and mercy, with opportunities like these that we have to be able to hear your word to grow. We pray that you would help us to apply these things to our hearts and to our lives so that we might grow in you, to encourage each other, and also, but most importantly, to praise your name. We love you so much. We pray that we can grow every day, push ourselves to discipline ourselves every day to love you more. Our hearts are open to you. Help us to let your love touch our hearts and touch our lives forever. And when that day comes, when we stand before you in judgment, that we may hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the kingdom of heaven. May that day come quickly. All praise, glory, and honor be to your name forever and ever. In your son's name that we pray. So, Jacob, we're starting to my pickup and that in the morning. Jacob, yes.
study.